0: I wanted to start the new year out um, with something spicy, um, and so I'm going to preach on church government this morning. <laughs> You're welcome. Seriously, don't check out, we'll um, be talking about deacons today, and um, you may not be one or have an inclination to be one, but it doesn't mean that's not part of our life together. So give yourselves to the reading and preaching of the word. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing the Grecian or Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables, but others choose seven men from among you who are known to, the full, to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a covenant, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the Word of God, that seems like there shouldn't be a so there, but it is. So, the Word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, may God bless the reading and preaching of His Word. We're basically going to talk about what's a deacon, what's a deacon do, who's a deacon, and so what. Alright, that's your, your outline. What's a deacon? You really gotta dig in, why am I preaching about this? Well, one reason is because deacons are a vital part of the life of any congregation. Um, They're about the brass tacks of living out our faith before God and neighbors. Second, we're gonna start the book of Acts from now through Easter. And so I'm skipping ahead all the way up to chapter six, Um, because this is the kind of classic passage, or one of the several classic passages that that seem to be indicating what the deacons will be. So I'm skipping here because the third reason is we want all of our members to take time and to think and pray and then respond to the elders' request to bring nominations to us. And we're opening that up through, it's already been open, but we're going to keep it open until this time next week. You can do it on the website, Um, and just go to the connect and then scroll to adults or you can if you get looking ahead you can it'll be in there if you don't get looking ahead and you want it you can go to the same place you go go on the website and click connect there's also a QR code in the announcements I thought I was bringing it up here but I forgot and it's in the it's in the announcements toward the back and so if you want to just do that today you can just do that as well all right Let's jump in because actually, this scene is a little bit spicy. Some messy issues going on here. And um, it's a supply chain crisis of food distribution to the widows. But the supply chain isn't tied to worker shortage, but discrimination and favoritism. And that there's this, add this, that there's one clique of the group that has got all the power, and you've got a church split waiting to happen. Along with 1 Timothy and a couple other places, we'll get to 1 Timothy in a minute, this is one of the go-to texts to think about deacons. It's because the word wait or serve at table and the word distribution come from the word diakonos. There's your Greek vocabulary lesson today. You actually have one more later. Diakonos. Can you say that? One, two, three. Very good. Diakonos can be and is translated in all sorts of different ways, both in the Bible and outside the Bible. It's a deacon, a deacon, the actual title, a servant, a minister, a mail carrier, a table waiter, a mediator—all sorts of different things like that. It's got a lot of what they call semantic range or range of meanings. I actually did a semester on this—not to brag—I did a semester on this. Uh, elective, and I spent the whole semester on this. these range of words that come from this. It was a lot of fun, actually. So in those days, the number of disciples were increasing, and the Grecian Jews, or Hellenist Jews, that's used interchangeably, um, come in, they start complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. The Grecian Jews were being overlooked, the Grecian widows. And so this is kind of like a social cultural problem. Grecian widows would often move to Jerusalem to live out the last of their days. So you're as a Jew who's lived in somewhere um, within the Greek culture in the Roman Empire, but your ancestral home and kind of spiritual heart is in Jerusalem. So that's where you're going. And even if you never lived there, that's where you would go. You come to die in the land and the land of your people and the love of your people. But when they get there, their own people reject them, or at least won't feed them, which is a pretty good rejection. The Hebraic Jews were Jerusalem townies. They lived there all the time, born and bred probably. They treat um, they treat these Grecian people coming back, all Jewish, mind you, right? All Jewish and Christian, mind you, like they don't belong. But there's more than like cultural and social stuff. Most Christians back then are pretty poor. Christians still young, Christianity is still young and very small. Um, not a lot of money, and it's a Jewish sect in the eyes of the rest of the world. This means that you were Jewish in the Roman Empire, which means you were already a little bit ostracized, and then you were Christians among those ostracized people, which was even a little bit more ostracized, but then you're now a Grecian Jew within that community, so you're an ostracized, ostracized, ostracized person. It's not quite a caste system, um, but clearly the poor Grecian widows were closer to the bottom of the rung. That's what's going on. And there's spiritual difference, too. You kind of looked your nose down on the people who weren't sticking around in Jerusalem the whole time. That's not as big of a deal, but it's definitely there. And then there's, of course, gender issues. This is about women who are reliant upon the church in their witness. You can kind of hear the tension. Look, why'd y'all even come back here anyway? You know, are you really even really Jewish Jewish? You kind of talk funny living out there in those crazy places for so long and you're a burden to the system and we keep all growing we can barely take care of our own why are you even here that's ad-lib that's not the text i think you read so but the grecian jews actually weren't playing i want you to hear this in a pursuit of and i want you to hear and hear what i'm saying and don't hear what i'm not saying more importantly in a pursuit of social ecclesial economic, cultural, and gender justice, otherwise known as biblical justice, aka biblical love, they pursue righteousness here. Cornel West, Reverend Cornel West says, justice is simply what love looks like in public. And the problem is in the earliest church. This is a church splitting over how justice and love happen just a few a few chapters after Jesus has returned to heaven. So if we're struggling with this, navigating these kinds of things for our day, even in our church, at least let's be encouraged it's not new. The, but the solution, oh, the solution was profound and simply, perfectly, beautifully Christian. The apostles heard the complaint and they said, we hear you. They didn't dismiss the concerns. They didn't critique the Grecian methods of confrontation. They didn't defend their own good motives for setting up a food distribution thing in the first place. I'm sorry, it didn't work that well. They did not spin a story to avoid any kind of change or repentance. They didn't require a show of unity. They didn't do a kumbaya party or a group hug. They didn't even try to fix it in their own competence. They didn't virtue signal and tweet or have a photo op of Hebraic-Grecian harmony. They just heard and acted. They listened and accepted responsibility for the failure of the system that they had created. And they took the concern seriously and did something. But not in arrogance. They said, we, we have this calling uh, to the Word and, um, and to prayer. And we got to keep our main thing the main things. We can't, we can't deal with this right here. They, they weren't demoting um, a lesser-valued task, it's eating, right? A val- lesser-valued task and sloughing it off to the JV squad. They were saying, we have this one calling. We have to do this. And they were asked for help. What a wonderful way to lead. They said hey, let's ask the Spirit to help us, and we believe the Spirit's going to work in you. Choose seven among you to carry out the tables, the waiting at table or serving at table, the diaconos stuff, the distribution stuff. That's what we want you to do. I said you have the Spirit of the living God living within your community. Ask Him for help, and He will bring it to bear. And that's what your elders are doing right now. They're asking you to do the same for Redeemer, choose among you, who you see lead in service and generosity. Look, pray, and then bring them forth to us so that they can lead us all in these important matters. They chose seven as their ass, and here's the kicker. They're all Grecian Jews. They're all Greek-named Jews. All folks of the aggrieved community whose mamas, widows, were not being taken care of. One of them actually not even ethnically Jewish. He's the proselyte Nicholas. He was a convert to Judaism. That's crazy. Only a gospel community would do something like that. Someone who, uh, who, would, who would understand how power works in the upside-down kingdom of God. Who Jesus was who gave up so much for others. They, early church apostles, solved a discrimination issue, a sticky wicket in the early church, by having the church pray and rely upon the spirit to bring forth people who would solve the sticky wickets of ministry. And then, without a partisan bickering, that very church put a squad of people in charge who were at the bottom of the rung. It's not like there, there weren't any good Hebraic Jewish guys around. I'm sure there were, class, there were people who were, who were like that. They just chose to do it differently. Only people who understand the incarnation and the suffering of Jesus can do something like this. This is amazing. The one who gave up his own power for others. And here's another kicker. The proposal pleased the whole group from church split to church unity and even more. It was a complete overhaul of the system. It was a deconstruction of their present practices that were doing harm and a reconstruction to something really beautiful where the last were first. I mean, does that sound like something Jesus would do? Absolutely. And here's the weirdest part. So, because all this happened, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests, they mean Jewish priests at that point, became obedient to the faith. Good church government becomes evangelistic force, Who knew? God did. And it became a beautiful part of their communities. Others being able to concentrate on the word, others taking care of the people. Wonderful. Now, people argue about whether they were exactly the elders of that church because they're apostles. They have a special role. Or if they were actually deacons. They're not actually called deacons. They're just described diakonosing, you know. But it, it pretty much is what you see it start to emerge where elders and deacons are always put together in like, addresses to churches like that. And certainly in the early church, this is the way it is. So they're kind of proto-deacons, but the same thing is true. One group to pray and bring the word to bear, the other group to serve alongside that first group in the practical grind and sticky wickets of ministry. That's it. All right, what do deacons do? Also, the biblical evidence here is a little bit scant, besides these proto-deacons serving at table and working through a, a tough situation. But what I said earlier still holds. Deacons serve alongside the elders, assisting them in leading the church in practical realities of the kingdom, dealing with sticky wickets, which always, when you bring mercy and justice to it, you're gonna have to, it's going to be a sticky wicket, right? Our own denominational documents have really beautiful language about this. The diaconate is an office of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus, especially in their helping one another in time of need. They're exemplars of Jesus. They show us how Jesus looks in the world. More on that later. Book of Church Order does other things About, say, mercy, to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, and to any who may be in distress. It's beautiful. To develop the grace of liberality in the church. That's not a political statement, that's just generosity. To care for the property of the congregation, both real and personal. To collect and distribute the gifts of the people. This is wonderful. Our deacons this last quarter did amazing. They communicated to you about our needs, and you guys gave so generously. Best in four years. Amazing. That's pre-COVID, y'all. Amazing. That's the good work that they do. They're stewards of God's gifts to the church for the sake of the church's growth and grace, especially the most vulnerable. All right. Who can be a deacon? we got to go to First Timothy on this one, one, Timothy 3 to be exact. And, um, well, Paul is instructing his protege, Timothy, on how do you get deacons, what are their qualifications. And he says things like this, they must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith and be tested and blameless. These are all character issues, my friends. You're looking to see how the grace of the gospel has weaved its way into the character of a person before you nominate them. Just because someone runs a successful, financially successful business, or is just here every time a chair needs to be set up, is not the only thing you're looking for. You are actually looking for people who have skills in business and otherwise, and who do serve. But you're also looking for this kind of character involved. Their whole lives begin to reveal the faith that they have, the mystery of the gospel. So much so that that the gospel has has not just forgiven uh, them of their sins, which it does gloriously, but also forms them into a kind of character that can be seen here. That's what we're looking for, Redeemer. Well, now we've got to do a sticky wicket, and that's gender in the diaconate. All right, I got a little bit on the video if you could hear any of it, but one of the enduring questions for Redeemer has always been um, is the diaconate limited to men? In Acts, the protodeacons are men. Is that coincidence, cultural, or purposeful? Our denomination interprets 1 Timothy, the things beforehand, and this next passage that I'm about to read as it meaning that only men can be deacons, only qualified men that I just described over there could be deacons. They just have to be men too. And it comes from this other Greek word. This is your, um, your, your other Greek lesson today, which is the word for wives and the word for women because it's the same word. So it goes on to say, likewise, their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. If you're reading the Greek text, or you have an ESV, which is what I was reading from, it'll give you a little note there. It says it's either wives or women. There is no there, likewise there, wives. It just says, I can't remember what the ending is. Um, um, So so it's either he's addressing women who are deacons, or addressing the wives of the um, deacons. Seems to me that it would make sense that it could go either way. Goes on to say, let deacons be the husband of what one one wife, managing their children well. So does that mean they have to be a male? Or is that in a broader statement about just um, husband generically meaning spouse? And does it mean they have to be married? Well, we don't think that. So anyway, another conundrum. There's some conundrums here. Then you go back to Paul's letter to Romans, and he describes Phoebe, the person who's in charge of bringing the book of Romans that's a pretty big job, right? Whatever you call it, she's called a diaconon. So is that servant, minister, clearly a mail carrier, you know, which is this? So it gets kind of confusing. So it seems to me like different churches and uh, uh, churches that love the Bible have come down differently on this. And we used to be, our kind of side of the church of the PCA used to be in a denomination like several other denominations that have always ordained women deacons. In fact, we actually accidentally did it, not realizing that when we joined into the PCA, we weren't allowed to continue that practice. So, it's all up in Philly, 10th Pres, no one's going to say 10th Pres has just gone, lost their mind and succumbed to cultural issues, if you know anything about 10th Pres, So, just, ha- you can keep the slippery slope out stuff out of there. So, what, how we have done, what we've done, is we would rather have ordained women deacons. But, we are in submission to our, um, our denomination. By the way, that's no joke. When they made that decision, churches don't do that. Only Christians submit when they think they're right. Right? That's beautiful. You should be proud of this church. Long before I got here, I get no credit for it. But what we do is, um, is we commission, which is allowable in another section of the BCO that says you can, that the, session, the elders can commission uh, women to assist the diaconate. So we commission women, and we ordain the men, and that's how we deal with it. And at the same time, whenever there's an overture or something like that, we push for uh, the ordination of women in that office. All right. Church nerds, you are welcome. So what? What does this have to do with Jesus, Redeemer, of the church? And I want to say everything. The Deacons are here to show us how Jesus works in the world. They're fundamentally models, not teachers. That doesn't make you not a teacher. They're they're models. They're to show us their tenderness to the sick and suffering. They're stewarding of God's good gifts to our world, to our our church. They're calling us to, to take our tight fists off our money and give it away. They distribute those resources for people in need. And they're not supposed to do everything. They're supposed to guide us, teach us every, how this works. And just, so you know, those, those like crying stuff, all that, that's music to my ears. It's beautiful. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. They aren't supposed to do everything but lead us and guide us in those way, in those ways. Teaching us, showing us how to bear one another's burdens. That's a pretty sweet gig. And we apprentice under them as they apprentice under our Lord Jesus. See, Christianity is actually a religion of apprenticing. We have to be trained in the practices of following Jesus. It doesn't come naturally. And we need others to show us, teach us and show us the skills of grace and love and mercy and truth and justice. Generosity isn't taught in a textbook, it's taught, it's practice. And we need practitioners to help us. Christianity is not simply about being book smart. It is vocational training. It's like PT school or med school or cosmetology program. You know, you can memorize every single one of your Frigidaire parts, but if you can't use a screwdriver? So we apprentice under them as they apprentice under our Lord Jesus Christ, which is now my final point. Jesus is the true diakonos. Paul explicitly says this about him in Romans 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant, diakonos, to show God's truthfulness. In order to show us about the promises of days past, that the Gentiles might glorify God. Jesus talked about this kind of stuff all the time. The greatest among you shall be your servant, You're a diakonos. And he sat down and he called the 12, and they said to him, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all, diakonos. And then he picked a baby up and put it in his lap. So he didn't just show it, he was the model too, he was the diakonos, we apprenticed under him. Because he didn't just talk about it, he lived it. One of my favorite places where this happens is in John 13, where he washes the feet. And Peter, of course, goes, you can't wash me, that's below you. And he goes, if I don't wash you, you have nothing to do with me. He goes, then wash me all. And he says, puts on, after taking the place of a servant, puts on his um, outer garments again, sits back down at the table, and he says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that is exactly what I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you do the same to one another's. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amazing, that's all apprentice type of language. We apprentice under the deacons who have learned to do what Jesus has done in this passage, serve and lead in service. And Jesus is our master craftsman. Let's say he's the master carpenter. And he's trained people to serve under his leadership because Jesus wasn't just book smart either. He wasn't just example. He was redeemer. And so in all of our brokenness, in all the ways that we fail and falter. The deacons also remind us again. You saw it on the video. Go back and listen to it again. It wasn't my favorite thing to do. It was my least favorite thing to do, but it's where I learned how to repent and grow in grace. He's showing us the grace of the master as he's showing us how the master leads. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, he was highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Jesus is the ultimate deacon who didn't just teach us his ways. He lived them unto death and death on a cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you and we love you. Teach us these ways, and we beg for you, by your Spirit, to to give us deacons that will lead us in love and service. We pray this in your name. Amen.